this afternoon when I was uh, reflecting on what I wanted to talk about and spending some time with this, I wasn't really quite sure that you were going to have a talk tonight. I, I was still kind of reveling a little bit in Eugene's talk last night where there was a rather pointing out of the limitation of concepts and words and I was was finding for a while it was just hard to bring up any kind of conceptual uh, configuration or you know anything that held together at all and last night during the um, ceremony when the bells were ringing you know here we were celebrating this new year's eve right and probably there were other people in the room also who had the same kind of experience where you know we're sitting in the silence listening to the bells the 108 bells and you know it would would occur to me that you know this is this is New Year's Eve, you know, this is the end of this decade, you know, we're moving into 2010, and like those concepts would come up and it's like, what? You know, what are we doing? (laughs) We're sitting here and we're supposed to be, you know, having a ceremony about something, you know, and then I would notice how I would kind of go in and out of of the recognition of, you know, the, the conventional reality that this is a a turning into a new year a new decade and then the whole thing would just fall apart Mm -hmm. you know very hard to hold it with any real meaning anyone else here kind of like have that yeah yeah so so it's very interesting you know as we start to um kind of feel into that truth the truth of, of uh, the kind of the emptiness of uh, concepts of uh, things that we take to be so real to be so solid, you know, things start to shift, break up a little bit more. Another piece that kind of contributed to whether there was going to be a talk tonight or not. Something probably would have happened, but who knew? You know, who knows what's going to happen? But another thing was last night when you know it came to writing something down. You know, intention, letting go. Which you know, also some kind of, you know, concept and some intention, something that we feel we want to set in motion, we want to let go of. Again, nothing came, <laughs> and so so what what really did come for me was that I didn't want to write anything down, but I wanted to put the paper in the fire. And it was very, kind of, as I, it, it, it turned out to be quite symbolic for me in some way. It was just a white piece of paper, empty of any concepts, you know, empty of anything. And you know, yet really feeling the um, uh, pull to still put that in the fire. And then having that white piece of paper, which is a something, go into the fire and then disappear. So not only you know, nothing on the paper, but then no paper. <laughs> and that's kind of stayed with me somewhat through the day and as I was uh, reflecting on what I wanted to talk about tonight. Because what in, a, in a way, that paper, that white paper, represented to me a kind of purity. You know, a purity, in a way, a, a, even a purity in, 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 in respect of what these teachings are actually pointing towards. Sometimes this path is called a path of purification, right? This path of purifying. And so we need to ask what it is that we're purifying. This is called the path of purification. And I think it's pretty obvious to all of us when we look at our own mind and we look at our own heart and we see the way that our mind and heart are contracted with these forces of of greed, lust, 
the forces of hate and ill will and aversion, anger, the forces of confusion and delusion and uh, forgetting, going to sleep, how powerful those forces are in our mind. And yet as we practice, we bring the, uh, we apply the, the practices and the, and the teachings in our meditation, in our mindfulness, we see that it's possible for that to begin to break up. Those habits, the momentum of those habits, those destructive habits, we call them destructive, or um, some way they're uh, harmful in some way, um, we see that they're not, they're not so solid. They're not so fixed. They're not, uh, they don't need to define us in the same way. We don't need to identify uh, with them as me or mine or I. They start to have a beginning and a middle and an end, as Eugene was pointing out this morning. We see that they actually end sometimes. Isn't it wonderful <laughs> that sometimes we're actually free of those harmful forces? And we can feel something different. We feel the opposite. We can feel open. We can feel kind. We can feel uh, generous or um, interested in uh, con- connection and harmony. We, can, we feel a different energetic effect or energetic uh, a kind of flow in ourselves than, than those particular difficult forces of mind. And so we begin to, we could say, we begin to purify those forces. We begin to purify the purification. That's what I'd like to speak about uh, tonight, is this, is this purification. Uh, how, what actually happens and how that happens for us. Uh, a little bit, because it's, it's the entire path, right? So, just talking about it a little bit tonight. So, when we start to look at this path of purification, we look at our own mind. We, we turn our attention to our own mind, and we, we see the patterns of thoughts. We see the habitual uh, momentum of our thoughts. And we all now have seen well enough how many of those thought patterns are hurtful or harmful. They, they are, are unpleasant, uncomfortable. And then, of course, there's the opposite of the momentum, which is actually uh, beautiful, open, uh, caring, kind, loving. You know, so, so we begin to notice the, the difference between these, these different movements of mind. And in this practice, we become very interested in the way that the mind becomes contracted and hard, rigid, when we start to bring our attention to that so that we can understand how to experience those thought patterns more directly, more uh, accurately, see them for what they really are. So one of my favorite, um, uh, I guess they're ana- uh, metaphors or analogies from the Buddha, um, one that I particularly like, you know, some of the, uh, the, the uh, stories from the texts, from the Buddha's t- uh, discourses, they, over the years, they've worked on me like koans, like spiritual koans. You take the, the teaching and just let it roll over. In the, in the mind and the heart. Just let it roll and roll and let it teach me. Let it teach me over time. And so this is one that has uh, taught me over time. And uh, I share it uh, on retreats sometimes because I think it's potent. So the Buddha um, in this... In this uh, uh, somebody help me out. Is this an al- analogy? Is it a metaphor? Is it... What is it? Simile. It's a simile. Thank you. I knew, I knew I wasn't getting it. Thank you. So in this particular simile, the Buddha uses the um, simile of the cows for our thoughts. And uh, I really like the way 
he talks about it. He says, just as in the last month of the rainy season, in the autumn when the crops thicken, a cowherd would guard his cows by constantly tapping and poking them on this side and that side with a stick to check and curb them. Why is that? Because he sees that he could be flogged, imprisoned, fined, or blamed if he let them stray into the crops. So too, he says, the Buddha said, so too I saw that in unwholesome states, um, in unwholesome states are the seeds of suffering, and in wholesome states are the blessing, is the blessing of renunciation and purification. So in the same way, you could see that as the, the thoughts wander and you don't check them or curb them, you can get in trouble. And so in a very, this very gentle way, you know, just to kind of like poke them <laughs> and ch- uh, with a stick to, to check and curb them, bring them back so you don't get um, flogged or imprisoned or fined or blamed. Mm-hmm. And then he says in the second part, he says, just, in the, just as in the last month of the hot season, when all the crops have been brought inside the villages, a cowherd would guard his cows while staying at the root of the tree, since he needs only to be mindful that the cows are there. So too, there was need for me only to be mindful that those states are there. So you don't have to go poking and you know, running around and doing this and that. The cows are already home. You know, so, so when the cows are home in the field and just, you know, minding their business in the way they should, the coward just, I love the image of the, the, the coward just resting peacefully at the fruit of the tree. There's nothing that really needs to be done. But I love how he says, except to be mindful that they are there. The cows are still there. The thoughts are still there because at any minute, right, they could start wandering and going to places they're not supposed to go. And then you get in trouble. And I love this particular simile a lot because it really emphasizes this, in a way, this art of returning. Return them back. Bring the cows back, bring your mind back, come back, come back and be contained, have your mind contained, have the cows contained, and then you rest. You don't have to keep being busy with everything. And so this, this, this whole kind of movement of the returning, returning, so the turning back, This whole kind of sense, I love the movement of turning back. So instead of going out to all the things, all the busyness, all the things that distract me, and there's this person and that thing's going on, and this, just turn back. Come back. There was a a yogi who was talking about, and I'm sure she's not alone, how difficult it can be in the dining room. I mean, it's a small dining room right, for a hundred people. We didn't really build it big enough. You know, so, so there's a lot going on in there. And it can be pretty stimulating or distracting, and it brings up things for people, because there's also people have issues around food and being watched, you know, around their food and that sort of thing. And so, you know, it can be very stimulating. So we, I spoke with one yogi, and we just talked about how important it was just to restrain her eyes. Just don't even look. Don't let the eyes go out there. Don't, don't, don't let the, the, the cows wander out there. Just keep them home. Return home. And just that need some time of the, the, using some restraint so that we're not getting so busy 
in all the things that are happening. So we just turn the attention in, we turn the attention back. This returning, returning back. And this is a very, very important practice for us. In some ways, it's the whole of our, of our meditation practice, this turning back. Because this is really what orients us, this turning back is what orients us back to our innate goodness, our awareness, our wisdom, our, our uh, place of refuge, or any way you want to speak about that. We turn back to a place where we can rest. This is the only place we can rest in our, in our, uh, in our being, in our awareness in our wisdom, in our natural state. And I, I read a quote from Ajahn Chah the other night where he talked about our original mind, returning back to our original mind that is already peaceful, finding that which is already peaceful, where we can rest at the root of the tree. But in order to actually even turn back, there needs already to be some faith that there's a reason or it's worthwhile to turn back because why would we otherwise? You know, there's a lot of kind of interesting and exciting things going on. You, you know, it's like it's not sometimes so interesting just to turn back, turn away, shut off the way that we do in our meditation. So something has, there already needs to be something awakened in us which I call faith, uh, some kind of faith in the possibility of our innate goodness or in the possibility of a deep peace or a deep sense of well-being, all the things we speak about in these teachings. We have to already kind of know. Some knowing needs to be there, even if it's just the tiniest seed but something, even if, you know, for some people when they see something in somebody else, you know, there's something, there's some, that person has something. They have some kind of open heart or some kind of wisdom or they're grounded or they don't get so uh, disturbed. And we see that and that can give us some faith. Like, oh, I want that. Or there's something that, that uh, they're, they're reflecting back to me that, that I feel might be possible for me. And then we can step on the path and begin to practice. And then it's this practice of then returning, turning. But there has to be some motivation for that. I remember when I was in very, very beginning of my practice, and um, I don't think I understood very much at all what I was doing, but there was some, something that was awakened me that trusted this this uh, practice or these teachings. And I remember I was with my family, and it probably was maybe a year into, the, into my practice, and my family, and my family has, is, I don't have a family that's, that's uh, uh, practicing the Dharma. Or maybe some of you do. But uh, I have a, the kind of family that uh, isn't interested in, um, even after 20, 30 years, you know, they have no idea what I do. They have no idea, you know, my, <laughs> my mother, you know. My, um, I do have a sister who practices, but um, basically, you know, the extended family. So I remember this one time, it was just about a year, and, and my, my sister-in-law asked me, you know, what, what's the, what are these teachings about? And I remember saying something, and it's funny that I even remember it, but I remember saying something like, it has something to do with, like, the sun shining in the sky, and then the clouds come and obscure the radiance of the sun. And yet the sun is still shining. And, and, and I remember, she was kind of like, yeah, that's, that's what I, I really, you know, the sun is still shining. And who knows whether she had any clue what I was talking about. <laughs> it 
but I remember fe- being so self-satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> Because there was just that sense, yeah, that's it for me. I want to know. I want to feel. I want to I have the experience of that sun shining without the clouds obscuring. Just that warmth, that radiance. I want to I know that. I want to be that. And, uh, you know, all these years later, you know, I still agree. I think that is what it's about that the application of these teachings really is about removing the obstacles that interfere with us knowing the truth of our being, of our nature, of our heart, our goodness. Removing the obstacles. And you can have, there's two different metaphors that come up for me around this. The one is that, you know, maybe we could think of what's there as a seed. You know, that we have the seed of awakening, or we have the the seed of this uh, uh, brilliant radiance in us, you know. And that what we need to do is to fertilize that seed, to water that seed, to nurture that seed so it can grow. It can grow big and strong into like a big oak tree. And then I am that, I am that strong oak tree. That's one. We can think about it like that. But I think I like better, and maybe it matches that original sense I had around the sun, is I like the metaphor better of uh, uh, polishing or cleaning something that has some, something, some impurities on it or like a, like a mirror that's hazy or dirty, has a lot of fingerprints on it, and that my, my task is to uh, clean that mirror or polish that mirror so, so that the reflection gets brighter and clearer and, and more accurate, and, and that that, brief, that mirror is the mirror of my own consciousness or the mirror of my own being. So that reflection of what's true and what's real is very very strong, very clear. I like that way of, of, of sensing into this practice, you know, this, this cleaning or purifying, this polishing. Another um, metaphor that comes from uh, the Buddhist text, the Majjhima Nikayas, one book that It's really just a book of such exquisite uh, discourses of the Buddha. And the Buddha here uses the um, simile of of gold, purifying gold. And this is is a uh, translation from the text. It says, Suppose Bhikkhu, a skilled goldsmith or his apprentice were to prepare a furnace heat up the crucible, take some gold with tongs and put it into the crucible. From time to time he would blow on it, from time to time he would sprinkle water over it, and from time to time he would just look on it. That gold would become refined, well refined, completely refined, thoughtless, rid of dross, malleable, wieldly, and radiant. Then whatever kind of ornament he wished to make from it, whether a golden chain or earrings or a necklace or a golden garland, it would serve his purpose. And then the Buddha says, so too, Bhikkhu, then there remains only equanimity, purified and bright, malleable, wieldly, and radiant. And sometimes equanimity is one way to describe that purified mind, purified of any um, uh, kaleso or defilement, anything at all that's going to cause the mind to move into some reactivity or grasping or forgetting. That mind that is still. And and it's so beautiful that it's not just... Still, 
it's not just empty, but that you can make any kind of ornament that you want out of it. It is that malleable. It is that um, wieldly. And so in the same way, when we feel that kind of that connection with our nature in that beautiful way, we can express that in so many different kinds of ways. We can make so many different kinds of forms of that expression. These beautiful expressions, beautiful expressions of the heart. And we have, in in this uh, tradition, we have the teachings of what's called the Brahma Viharas, these four uh, expressions of the awakened heart, the awakened mind, the names of the four dormitories, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. So the metta, the loving kindness, the expression of the loving kindness, the um, karuna, the expression of the compassion. Mudita, the expression of the joy or the connecting joy, the uh, empathetic or sympathetic joy. And the upeka, the equanimity. And the equanimity is really the ground or the foundation of the other three expressions. The equanimity is what holds us in place in a way. It grounds us so that we, the expression of the loving kindness is pure. It's not um, uh, uh, imbued with greed and hatred and delusion. But there can be the p- possibility of this pure expression free of the, of the self. This, what I call self, when I talk about the self in the Buddhist teachings, I'm talking about the problematic self. Eugene was making some distinctions about we're not, you know, getting rid of the self, but in the, we're, we're purifying that self. So when I'm talking about the self here, I'm talking about that self, and sometimes we'll say selfing, we're getting caught in selfing, and we're talking about when we get caught in the movements of greed, and we get caught in the, in the reactivity, and we, we go into confused and deluded states. And so sometimes those, when, the, when the equanimity is strong and then the love comes through, we feel this, this kind of pure connection or a pure expression of kindness, a pure expression of, of generosity. It's not mixed up with what I want and what I desire and what I need, and it's not all about me. If you love me, then you know, I feel better. You know, or if you love me, I get all these goodies, you know. I get to be, you know, famous or popular or, you know, feel good in myself. It's no, there's just, I love you. It's pure, you know. It doesn't have all that confusion of self in it, is what we say sometimes. Or the same with the joy. The joy that... You know, when there's the equanimity, the equanimity, again, is what keeps the mind still, keeps the mind, it's the unreactive mind. Then when the joy comes, it's a kind of a pure joy. It's not a joy that, you know, I feel great when I feel so joyous. You know, it's so wonderful to feel so much joy because it's the feeling I've always wanted. You know, no, it's just like, wow, you know, it's just what's happening for you is so wonderful. I'm so happy for your success. I'm so happy that you're happy. You know, this pure flow of the mudita. And it's true, you know, it's not that it's, it's always either, it's not black and white. It's not like it's going to be either pure or it's going to be defiled. And if it's defiled, it's bad. And if it's pure, it's good. You know, not like that, because if we set that up, then we're back into the uh, defilements of the mind, right? We're back into the judgment, we're back into the, uh, the, the wanting and the aversion and all that. You know, you know, we're on a path. 
we're on a path. And of course, there's going to be selfing, there's going to be confusion, there's going to be moments when there's our motivations are mixed, when we want something for ourselves, and that feels strong and important, and maybe it's not so clear. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of mixed, mixing there. But more and more, as we become aware, we pay attention, we can see what's happening, where the confusion actually is playing out, where I'm not seeing so clearly, where I am getting caught in what I want, and it matters what I want, and my demands, and my expectations for, for um, myself, or for my relationships, or for whatever it is. But we pay attention to that. And yet, the more that we're cultivating these qualities of the heart, the loving-kindness and the compassion, equanimity, joy, they, they then start to prepare a ground for us in our practice, a ground, a foundation that we can stand on, a, a foundation that we can rest into, and then that gives more nourishment to us for the path. It feeds on itself. The more kindness there is, then there's a more possibility to see the judgment in the mind with kindness. So it doesn't take as strong of a hold. And then more and more as the kindness starts getting strong, then that kindness is going to be stronger than the judgment. And the kindness will just see that judgment and, and then the compassion will come and say, oh, I just can't treat myself like that. It's so cruel. I feel, I feel so sad when I talk to myself like that. I just can't keep doing that. And that opens the heart even more. And then it feeds into our, our practice and, and gives more strength and more power in our practice. So, so these qualities of the, of the heart as they, as they develop... They become both expressions of the liberated mind, expressions of the awakened mind, but they also become the ground for us as we continue to walk the path. It's not like they're only there at the end of the path, but it's, a, it's what, we're, what we're growing, it's what we're nourishing, it's what we're developing, and then that goes into the nourishment it's a beautiful kind of way that this feeds on itself. The Dharma feeds on itself, works on itself. And as we do it, there's less and less of me in it. There's more of the Dharma in it. There's more of the wisdom in it. There's more of the expression of these beautiful qualities in it. And the me, the I, the self, starts becoming, it starts to recede and when we talk about this, the self here, I'm talking about these forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. They start to recede. And what comes forward is this beautiful expression of the heart. This Brahma Vihara. Brahma means, this translated as great or holy, supreme, exalted, divine. Brahma, Vihara is home or abode. We've been talking about coming home. Eugene and John and Gil were talking about coming home. So we're coming home to our natural home. Our natural home, which is divine, which is holy, which is supreme, this this abode, this, this home. Vihara. And so sometimes we'll have that feeling of divinity, or we'll have the feeling of something sublime, exalted. And when we can touch that with our awareness without the grasping, right? without grasping onto it, and, and that's often what'll come is, wow, I like that, I want that, you know, and I want it for me, right? I want to, I want that for me. And then it obscures that, it, it starts to cover over 
It's not so pure now. But then, you know, with the awareness, we notice that. See, we, we can see that. And then some letting go. See if we can let go, soften, relax that grip. You know, oh, I want that. You know, because these two, you know, all these expressions, the loving kindness, the compassion, the joy, the equanimity, these two are conditions that arise and pass. This too are conditions that arise and pass. Love in this way has many flavors, many different expressions. I like to say like ice cream. You know, many, many different flavors. So if we try, if you know, we just say, well, I only like chocolate. You know, and if I don't, you know, I don't want any other kind, you know, we're really going to limit the joy, I can tell you. You know, it comes in many, many flavors. And so any time we kind of, you know, put our, 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 our grip on an experience, and, and even if we say, that's it, that's the one, and I want that one, and it, I always want it to be like that, we're just in a... We're in another box. You know, we've just we've just shut down possibility, our possibilities again. Because the the expression of liberation, the expression of freedom, so many beautiful different expressions. And so, in the same way, we need to get out of the way. So we can experience the whole range. Let, it, let them arise, stay for a little bit, and pass away so that something else can come and show itself. Every moment, the conditions arising and passing, arising and passing. But we can so easily take these beautiful qualities and think, that's it. Right? Anytime we have that kind of experience, we think, that's it, and then we lose it. And then we think we did something wrong, or we lost our practice, or we've gone the wrong direction. But you haven't lost anything, because everything comes and goes. And when it goes, it goes back into the emptiness, and that means it it allows the space for something new to come into formation. And then that takes form for a while, and then that dissolves back into the emptiness back into the purified gold that can be made into all different kinds of ornaments. And then the next ornament comes, and that stays for a while, and that passes away. And this, then we we begin to uh, experience ourselves in such a different way. As the Buddha says, uh, uh, malleable, wieldly, radiant. Purified, bright, all those different expressions come through. Mm, come through our mind, come through our heart. So we're really shifting our perception here. The practice is so much about this turning, turning away, turning away from the usual momentum of our mind particularly the, the more the, the, the painful or the, the more destructive movements of the mind, turning away. And then the Buddha speaks about not just coming back into the emptiness or the stillness or the breath or the body, not just the letting go, but actually turning towards the wholesome or inclining towards the wholesome inclining towards that which is beautiful or that which is good or that which is loving, that which is caring, that which is uh, connecting, harmonizing. So, So then we begin to more and more discriminate the difference between those two movements. The movement that is actually moving more towards the contraction and the pain and the division and the separation and the... Uh, the more harder, difficult states of mind. And the set over here, the more open or easeful, 
flowing, connecting states of mind, that the Brahma-viharas, or the, these expressions of the heart, uh, uh, show us. And so, so in, our, in our daily life, we don't just have to come back, you know, to, to no thought or, you know, come back just to, to what we're doing, but we can start to explore when there's a thought that arises, like, oh, be, um, the, the one that arises for me a lot is I have a number of nieces and, and nephews and uh, uh, great nieces and nephews, and, you know, I want to acknowledge their birthdays, and I'd love to, you know, give them some gift or something, you know, and so, so oftentimes the thought will arise, oh, I want to do something for them, or I want to make contact with them, or, you know, call them, and then I'll feel that kind of that that urge to move in, the, in that kind connection. And it's a thought, you know, or it's an image. I'm actually thinking about them. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how I can actually do that. You know, sometimes I have to look at my, my schedule and my calendar. You know, when can, I make, when can I make that time? Or when can I get to the store? Or whatever it is. And so I want to I wanna follow that. I want to nurture that. I want to encourage that. And as I encourage that, again, I'm, I'm strengthening that quality of the heart. I'm, I'm strengthening the, the kindness. I'm, I'm strengthening the care. I'm strengthening the, the wholesome movement of mind. And so more and more, I, I, want, I want to encourage that. So the mind is actually turning away from ways that I might be more self-preoccupied or maybe lost or caught in my own uh, wants and desires and maybe not considering others so much, start to, to open out, turn away, shift that perception, shift that reality. One of my other favorite quotes of the Buddha, he says, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon that will become the inclination of their mind. Whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. And when the mind inclines towards the wholesome, that's when the mind, the small mind, drops into the heart. The mind drops into the heart, or opens up and becomes heart. You know, and in and, and in um, Sanskrit, the, the the same word for mind and heart. Mm-hmm. We start to understand how the mind, the, even the small mind, is still uh, imbued with all these uh, qualities, our innate qualities of being. The sun is still shining, you know, but there's just that distortion the distortion of mind because of the, 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 the forces of the, of, the, of the wanting and the greed, the, the aversion, the confusion, just distorting that expression somewhat. doesn't come out pure, mixed, confused sometimes. So, so we're inclining the mind, or, or we could say turning towards the heart. So that becomes more and more our reality. We, 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 our, our reality starts to take on a different shape. It starts to take on a different flavor or a different feel or many different ways we could say it. It starts to take on a different smell, you know, different taste, different perception, different feel. Whatever sense is alive for you, it comes through, wakes up as we incline the mind. And, and, and when the Buddha speaks about the wholesome thoughts, he says, if I think and ponder upon these thoughts, even for a night, even for a day, I see nothing to fear from it. I see nothing to fear from it. So sometimes the Buddha says, you know, even if you want to think about these beautiful uh, thoughts all night, there's really not a problem. Although there's one caveat that he makes where he says, the only difficulty with doing that is that if you really think 
that much, even if they're wholesome thoughts, it's going to make you tired. <laughs> and if you're tired, that's going to infer, interfere with your concentration and your mindfulness. So he says, he kind of, you know, encourages you, maybe don't think that much, even if they're wholesome thoughts. You, know, you still come back and, you know, get quiet and still and settled, because that's really what's going to support your mindfulness and your concentration. Nisargadatta said once, he said, the mind creates the abyss and love crosses it. Mind creates that big chasm of separation, but the love crosses it. And so we're wanting to encourage this, encourage this, because that becomes the ground for us, that we can walk on, we can stand on, it's reliable, and this is, it's, it's reliable. How many things in this world are reliable? <laughs> That's what's so beautiful about the Dharma, is it's pointing to what's trustworthy, what's reliable. And we can start to know that, and that starts to take on a kind of substance in a funny way. It's tangible, it's real, it's substantial. These qualities of our being, expressions of our awake mind and heart. The Buddha says, put away all the hindrances. That's what we do here. We work with those hindrances in the beginning of our practice. He says, put away all the hindrances and let your mind pervade one quarter of the world with thoughts of loving kindness. And so to the second, and so to the third, and so to the fourth. And thus the whole wide world above, below, around and everywhere equally. She continues to pervade with a heart of loving kindness, abundant, sublime, measureless, free from hatred and ill will. And he goes with each one of the four Brahmaviharas let your mind pervade one quarter of the world with thoughts of compassion, karuna. So too with the second, the third, and the fourth, the whole world above, below, around, everywhere. Let your mind pervade one quarter of the world with thoughts of mudita, sympathetic joy. The second, the third, the fourth, the whole world, everywhere, equally. Let your mind pervade one quarter of the world with thoughts of equanimity. And so too the second, the third, the fourth. The whole wide world above, below, around, everywhere equally. And continue to pervade with a heart of the Brahma Viharas, abundant, sublime, beyond measure, free from hatred and ill will. So this is this path of purification. And perhaps there is a seed of faith, and maybe there's much more than a seed of faith. Maybe you feel immense faith, which allows you to continue to walk, continue to pay attention, continue to stay awake. There's a, quite a task at hand here. And it's not only for ourselves, as we know, but as we do this, it makes a difference in the entire world. 
And here we are at the beginning of this uh, new decade, this, even though it's difficult to find it. What, what could be better? What could be better for us but to practice this beautiful teaching of the Dharma? So I'm going to end with a, a poem from Hafiz. Some of you may be Hafiz lovers, a Sufi poet. We have not come here to take prisoners, but to surrender ever more deeply to freedom and joy. We have not come into this exquisite world to hold ourselves hostage from love. Run, my dear, from anything that may not strengthen your precious budding wings. Run, my dear, from anyone likely to put a sharp knife into the sacred, tender vision of your beautiful heart. We have a duty to befriend, to befriend those aspects of goodness that stand outside of our house and shout to our reason, oh please, oh please, come out and play. For we have not come here to take prisoners or to confine our wondrous spirits but to experience ever and ever more deeply. Let's sit for just a moment. We have not come here to confine our wondrous spirits, but to experience ever and ever more deeply. might want to lead you in a little chanting at the end of the next sitting. So if you'd like to come. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.